0: you're listening to Whoa. Potluck. Potluck. hey guys welcome back to first of all a real unfiltered conversation on career family relationships and culture i'm here to help you find your voice I'm your host, Minji Chang, and thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. So happy that you're here, and it's a celebration, y'all. It is my three-year anniversary of launching, first of all. But before we get into that celebration, I have to do it because we're still in coronavirus, and I'm being true to myself. Wear your mask, social distance, please be kind to one another, wash your hands, monitor your health. We're still doing this. Okay, I got that out of the way because I am me. Um, But as I was saying, thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. It is a really special day. It is a really special episode. It's a really special moment. Um, Three years. Three whole years of First of All podcast. It was on this day that I put out my very first episode sorry, not sorry, with my friend Monpreet and uh, launched this whole shebang. And I launched my Patreon that day as well. And it was like this whole actualization of a lifelong dream that I didn't know that I had because I it was not a lifelong dream to have a podcast, but to have a space and, and a show of my own. Um, yeah, it's quite a moment. So to celebrate that, I wanted to share something that I got called out by (laughs) my wonderful friend Lance, um, who is a friend and also a Patreon patron, who lovingly called me out on the fact that I still hadn't done my uh, inner child work story slash episode, and it felt really fitting because— Here we are, still up to our eyeballs in this pandemic situation and dealing with lots of things, me and this new chapter of my life, and all the different transformative experiences I'm going through. It's completely 100% fitting and cosmic and synchronistic, all the things that I love about my life. So here we are. I wanted to take you all into a story time with me about my experience with inner child work and how that has affected my life, because it ties into this next chapter that I'm starting as of today, and celebrating as I say goodbye to all the previous years before. So if you've been keeping up with First of All, you will know that uh, this year, for many reasons, has been really challenging for me. And usually, no, still, usually and still now, I don't shy away from challenges. I've had enough experiences in my life to know that um, challenging times are, are they are really hard, but they're also there to serve me and help me grow into a better version of myself. And even when I don't particularly feel that, I cannot deny the data because I listen to science. And data has shown in all the times of reflection, and all the times of appreciation, I can pinpoint huge turning points in my life and huge growth periods of my life that are connected to really hard times. I can grow and appreciate life and, you know, become the best version of myself in good times as well. So I'm not saying only the bad times have taught me that, but I don't think that there is an exception to bad moments that have not taught me something really valuable. That's what I'm saying. So, um... I started off 2020 going through a very, very fresh breakup that happened before Christmas of 2019. Um, It was with somebody that I was very deeply in love with, not just in love with, but somebody I loved very deeply and still will always love the same way that I have love for every person that's been important in my life. And learning to let go of that version of myself to release that person, that relationship was—it was—it was a lot to um, kick off the year. And I have been through a number of breakups before, you guys. It's not my first heartbreak, but every single one is different, and every single one is a different version of you you know, not in just like the person that you're with, but it's a different version of yourself that is experiencing that relationship. And therefore, you know, the fallout and and um, finding yourself again and getting back on your own two feet. And this particular breakup had really, really kicked my ass. So also disclaimer, there may be a good amount of cursing in this one. So I'm just letting you know, this is again, part of me learning how to kind of speak truthfully that doesn't and I'm also learning that doesn't mean I always have to curse I'm also finding other ways to express myself but you know what I have a feeling it just might come up so if you are sensitive to curse words you've been warned um but yes this this breakup really really hurt um and for a number of reasons I think I've I've expressed that in in numerous episodes before in, like, my episodes on learning how to be alone and all the different ways that I've been kind of, again, getting back on my own two feet since then, um, including the dating episode with the Datable podcast host, Julie and Yue, which was great. Um, What I'm really doing is plugging you to go listen to my older episodes. But, um, no, I was really recognizing that this one was intense. And I think there were a number of factors that were at play which is honestly my age <laughs> the fact that i'm in my mid 30s and that i was going to have to start all over like that fear was so paralyzing and so daunting to me it genuinely it it shook me like i was i was shook i was terrified um on top of being heartbroken, on top of just the baseline devastation of losing somebody and something that meant everything to me. And it was just complete and utter fear. I was having anxiety like no other. Um, I was not sleeping well, which is a common thing for a lot of people going through heartbreak. And um, yeah, this is again, pre-coronavirus, like pre-COVID, right? (laughs) <laughs> so the best the best was yet to come. Um I was going through all these feelings and there was a lot of, you know, roller coastering up and down and a lot of sorting through can we make this work? Did I make the right decision? Have I lost the best thing or who even am I? Again, there's just so much that comes up in in, in that state of being and I was doing my best to be self-aware of what factors were at play doing my best to talk myself through not only the pain, but the confusion the fear, the anxiety, and figuring out what was the next best step for me. And when you're in those moments, I swear, it really does touch a nerve and trigger a certain fight or flight instinct. And that is a very dangerous place to be, especially for somebody like me who's become a lot more self-aware. You know, I felt like it was this double-edged sword effect of being self-aware that I just was so conscious of every freaking feeling that I was feeling. And in those moments, I hated it because I was just going through so much and it was relentless and constant and debilitating and overwhelming, right? And the way that I, I metaphorically describe that time is like, there were days, most days and most hours that I felt like I was hanging on by my fingernails. Like, just imagine, I know this is a terrible thing to make you imagine, but if you would like to imagine you're hanging from the edge of a cliff, but you're really literally only hanging on from by your fingernails. That's how I felt emotionally, like on a daily basis. Um, And so there was something really wrong there. And You know, there's a lot that I want to unpack in future episodes as we continue to talk about relationships, about trauma, um, about coping mechanisms, about defense mechanisms, and my attitudes on dating and hooking up and seeking validation from others and like all of these different types of behaviors and attitudes that I have had throughout my young life and my adult life. And the the outcomes of those behaviors, like it goes really, really deep. But suffice it to say for this episode, you know, I was doing my very best not to fall back on my old habits. And I was aware enough as a grown a grown ass woman who's been through enough, quote unquote, I've been through enough. And I had this attitude of like, I refuse to perpetuate the version of myself that I don't respect, that I already have outgrown, that I'm smarter than, that I'm stronger than, like I'm going to hold my ground. I'm going to weather this storm. I'm going to go through every freaking terrible feeling for every second that I have to so I can survive this, that I can come out the other side respecting myself and really feeling like, you know, not that I won, but like that I overcame, right? Like, I've, I've been through versions of this before. So I had all these predictions and all these projections of this is probably how it's going to go. And these are the things that I already can anticipate that I'm going to feel right. So in that, you know, every day I feel like I'm just waking up and going to war. It's like psychological, emotional war of myself, right. And and combating these urges and this need to feel better somehow and Having this self-awareness that, okay, getting on Tinder, doing all these things, yeah, it's just a band-aid. These are things that are not going to truly help you. They're going to help you for like five seconds and you're going to go back to feeling just as shitty as you did before. And honestly, because you know that this is not going to help you, you're probably going to feel shittier than before. So it's not even going to be like baseline. You're going to go negative, Minji. Like, let's look at the graph here. The chart will indicate that you're going to dip into negative the negative zone. We're not doing that. So again, these are like the moment-to-moment conversations I was having within myself and a level of self-awareness that I was really doing my best to protect myself from myself, if you will. Um, I don't particularly care to go into detail of what happened, but there were a... It was a very tough breakup. It was tough to let go. It was tough to uh, let old habits die in certain ways. And uh, yes, I'm being totally vague on purpose. But I found myself being in a position where I I felt like I hit a rock bottom that I did not ever ha- want to experience in my life. I know what rock bottom feels like, guys. I've been through it various times. And it's weird because... Just everything in me was trying to not hit rock bottom. And the irony of that is I believe in law of attraction. So I believe like whatever you're thinking about is usually what comes to you. And all I was thinking about was like, do not hit rock bottom. Do not go to that dark place, Minji. Don't go to the dark place, Minji. Go into the light, right? And, and thus I ended up there, okay? Long story short, I ended up at this rock bottom and I was just beside myself so everything that had been proceeding where we hit february okay and um you know it'd been two months since the breakup and it just been the most anxiety ridden most like i cried more in those two months than i had in over a decade you know i've been through some bad traumatic moments in my life um and you know i lost one of my best friends and my first love to suicide a year and a half prior and that was a devastating time, too. It was just like it was it was really dark. You know, I, I went there and a lot of these things that I think had been piling up over the years that I had not been addressing were coinciding and synergizing with the pain of this breakup. And I think I was just I unraveled fast and hard and intense. So when this rock bottom moment came upon me and I encountered it I I I invited it into my life and taking responsibility I I did said became things that I had been trying to avoid really fiercely and I reached a really a really important moment in my life where I was like I need help and for somebody like myself who has been very self-sufficient and very proud of that And in a lot of ways, very egocentric and just prideful in the way that like I didn't want to ask for help. It was really obvious to me like I needed help. So um, I turned to a friend and a clinically, you know, practicing hypnotherapist, Penny Pennyway, who is a dear friend of mine and who had helped me when my friend had committed suicide a year and a half before um, this other guy that was in my life and had a really large, significant role and left my life really traumatically. Um, I turned back to her, you know, and I was like, Penny, I need your help. I need, I, I was not well, I was really not good. And thankfully, you know, Penny was available to me and I was just like, I need to have a session with you. There's something really wrong. And, um, is I felt like I was going to like an emotional, psychological ER. I was going to the emergency room. So the next day, like within 24 hours, I was with Panny at her house because she she sees some of her clients there, and she welcomed me into that space. And I was literally shaking, you guys. Like I was, um, I was kind of worried about myself driving, to be honest. And she lives about 25 minutes away from me, and I genuinely was like should I be on the road right now? Because I felt very manic and I felt like I couldn't hold focus. And I genuinely wondered as like a protective measure, if I was safe to be on the road, like if somebody were to maybe like cut me off or not signal properly, if I would signal, if I would have like the brain capacity to signal properly, if I'm switching lanes or exiting or something, it was that bad. Okay, and I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just walking you through what was happening and reflecting on it. it. It hurts to kind of remember that. But um, yeah, that's what it was. So to anybody out there, I mean, it's just like, I feel you. Okay, that's why I'm, I'm sharing this is because I'm going through something in my life right now, which is to release that part of me. And part of me processing that is being able to share this kind of stuff out loud with all of you. Because I... I know for a fact that I'm not alone. I've had enough heart-to-hearts with dear friends of mine to to make an educated guess that there are many, 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 many more people out there who have gone through similar experience and different versions of the same kind of uh, emotional fallout. And so I'm just here to put it on air and let you know that you're not alone, like 100%, okay? And uh, I also am aware that I've projected an an image to a lot of different people, it's come to my awareness. And I also knew it because I put effort behind it that I came off as a very self-assured person, a very confident person, a very uh, put together person. And because in some ways I am, I, I won't even lie about like, uh, yeah, I have confidence in areas and there are areas where I feel really calm and I can function and and, and perform well. But I like any other human being on the planet have tender parts to me and have vulnerable parts to me and especially when it came to like love and family and these like private intimate relationships I have struggled so deeply and so yeah I I also want to help break that barrier of these perceptions because sometimes when I would get vulnerable with people and open up about x y or z and my experiences with trauma and abuse I would get some surprised reactions. The older I get, the less surprised people are because I think people mature and understand that people have different kinds of experiences. But when I was younger, a lot of people would say to me like, you, like I would never ever imagine that you went through anything like that. Like you are the last person that I would think would have an abusive relationship or like be that insecure when you're going through X, Y, or Z. Like I would never think that you would do that. And that concerned me a bit because i guess my being in my own head and i just don't even see myself as that version of myself that other people might see i'm just like i had kind of a an assumption an educated assumption that everybody is this messed up inside because we're all we're all mush you know we're all tender and we're all sensitive and we all have feelings you know so i was kind of shocked to hear that they were shocked but it, may, it educated me and it, it made me realize that, you know, there are some people that are going to walk around and think that there are individuals who are, who are immune to pain and that they're immune to hurt and trauma and insecurity and paranoia and devastation like, like the rest of humanity, right? And hopefully we can continue to have these more vulnerable conversations to recognize that nobody is immune to this. There's no person that... Unless you're a complete sociopath, which is a completely different problem, that we all have feelings and we're all just as vulnerable and um, sensitive and fragile and susceptible to pain and uh, unresolved trauma and hurt as the next person. You know, we are not alone in that. And that's not just necessarily paint a picture like everybody's broken and it's all like a dumpster fire. It's not that. It's like I think it's just a general part of the human experience is to rise and fall emotionally and go through experiences that leave sometimes a very intense lasting mark. And part of the human experience is to heal it and to deal with fallout and rise and, you know, grow as a person in light of that. So that's my tangent on that the fact that people had had these reactions to me saying like, oh, my God, I had no idea that you could have ever gone through something like that. To be very frank and very clear and simple about it, like, yes, I have gone through really, really hard things. I do not consider myself somebody that would even seem exempt of that. But I had that kind of response. So I just want to address that really upfront And and put that in people's minds that, like, no matter how great you think somebody might appear on the outside, for whatever reason, whether they're really financially successful, they're exceptionally attractive, or whatever, there's nobody immune to hardship in life. And they might be really good at hiding it. And maybe some people do have, in a certain category, something easier. But these are, it's like comparing apples to oranges, you know? And that's why I think it just goes to, it benefits everybody to have a very baseline level of compassion and empathy because you really don't know what's going on in someone's personal life. So back to the story of recognizing that I had been going through a lot in my life and it was this really significant point of recognition that, oh my God, I've been going through so much relentless pain Um, in tandem with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good, but a lot of pain that I think... I had done a really adequate and in some ways remarkable job coping with. And I was like, I wouldn't say a highly functioning depressed, but I don't think I was depressed, but I think I was like a highly functioning anxious person. And um, I definitely had a lot of trauma from my past that had not been healed. And it was just becoming so obvious to me. You know, that there was something way deeper, way beyond this breakup, that this breakup was kind of ripping open a wound that had been there the entire time for God knows how long, like literally decades that um, was not healed. It was just it wasn't healed. It was like a a very deep stab wound that I had put a very sufficient bandage over to stop the bleeding and had it had kind of like stayed, stopped bleeding, but it was kind of like infected and still there, and that's really nasty. But yeah, um, so in recognizing that, I'm really glad that my in that moment that my fight or flight mode went on, and that I went into self protective mode, and that I asked for help. I genuinely give myself a hug for doing that because I think that is the best thing I could have done. I showed up with panty. I was shaking. I was not well. I was having a hard time even putting sentences together because I was so um, just rattled by my state. I was aware. I was like, I'm not well. Please help me. And I had heard of inner child work before. It was another version of like, you know, what I categorized at the time as like being very woo-woo. And, um, you know, that's a very like, I'm just aware like calling it woo Even on this podcast, you guys have heard this if you're following along. I've called it very woo-woo and I've kind of spoken about it with a level of humor and just like, you know, throwing a little bit of shade at it in this like loving way because I've judged it. I've judged woo-woo people and spiritual people Not fully because there's I've like praised it too, but I don't think I ever fully 100% just like really gave it full credit because I associated it with like just some whack people. The way that I've looked about it, and this is me being more aware of how judgmental of a person I have been, is like I assigned like spirituality with privileged white people. Like simply put, that's what I associated it with. I associated spirituality in the way that I had it in my head with, like, the Karens of the world, if you will. The goop, you know, Gwyneth paltrow e type people who kind of appropriate true spirituality, which in that form, I have the utmost respect and reverence for. But, you know, I felt like me participating in spirituality was basically another version of me being like a Karen and therefore like an Asian American Karen. And therefore I kind of held it at arm's length by participating it, but also like throwing shade at it by laughing and rolling my eyes at it a little bit. That is a former version of myself. I'm fully I I love the spirituality things that I am learning right now and that I'm accepting and embracing. But prior to that, I think I associated like this inner child work and psychology and therapy in general, like this was revealing a lot of my own subconscious beliefs of how I was raised by my Asian American parents who I don't think they ever like overtly said like therapy or psychology is is BS. But I think their general attitudes is very much in line with the rest of a lot of Asian Americans, which is that therapy is bullshit and that it's a sign of weakness and that it is admitting defeat in some way and that it's, you know, somehow waving a white flag that we are insufficient and we're not capable of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, which is a very American mindset and culture like that. We just need to grit our freaking teeth and get through it. And that is the resilience and wherewithal that is the sign of somebody who has determination and intelligence and just, again, pure grit to, like, power through it. And that's an attitude that I have carried with me, like, my entire life. <coughs> and part, I, I, like, credit that to, like, toxic masculinity and the toxic masculinity that I have definitely participated in. <coughs> oh, my God, you guys, my throat chakra. See, I'm still doing it. I'm still throwing shade. <coughs> but... Anyway, I I kind of like, again, subconsciously categorized therapy, hypnotherapy, hypnosis, spirituality, inner child work, all of those very woo-woo things in this woo-woo category. But I was desperate. And something about being desperate and having your back against the wall, you will literally do whatever it takes. And I'm glad. I'm so glad. In that moment, I'm like reflecting. I'm so glad I did whatever it takes. I'm glad I was pushed to that point because... Far be it for me to like say it, but for in my life at that moment, like doing inner child trauma therapy felt like doing whatever it takes. It felt like my Hail Mary because in my own mind, I had put it someplace else that was inaccessible to me. I wasn't giving my permission, giving myself permission to let that help me. Do you know what I'm saying? So anyway, I got to this space and I had done a version of trauma therapy with Panny when my friend died um the year and a half prior she helped me walk through in multiple different hypnotherapy sessions which I talk with her about um when I first in- started therapy as again in my mid-30s which I was like well, how did it take me so long to get here Um, She walked me through a lot of visualization exercises and through the hypnosis of – meeting with certain people in my life, like certain exes, my father, like people that I have really tough relationships with and a lot of baggage with. So I basically, it was like, I had already kind of gone that path. The inner child thing was like really addressing me now. Now I'm not going to meet with my friend who passed. I'm not going to meet with my dad um, or whoever, you know, hurt me in the past. I'm going to meet with myself. And I hadn't done a lot of research, but in essence, I... I kind of understood the concept that within all of us, there is a young child that experienced some level of hurt and trauma and that needed to have a good talking to, like in a a way to heal that. And because I'd already incrementally embraced like these other parts of my spirituality, like scripting, like um, just meditation in general, visualization, doing vision boards, um, all these different aspects were like stepping stones to introduce me to that. And so I felt more willing to entertain that. And then also, I finally reached a desperate point of like, no, I really believe this is what I have to do. So I felt like I was ready. Um, not fully ready. But again, I was desperate. So then when we did this inner child work, you know, Penny talked me through a lot of things. And she was really helpful to help me recognize that you know, that we as children are really impressionable. You know, they say that these are, this is just, you know, scientifically proven that our formative years from zero to seven, maybe to eight, zero to eight, um, we are sponges. We're just absorbing the world around us. And the things that we experience during those times really, really shape the way that we love. The way that we love others, the way that we receive love, the way that we perceive ourselves, the way that we operate, whether we have anxious attachment or avoidant attachment or like all these different thoroughly researched psychological terms, which I really encourage people to investigate. Like if you're into anything about personality types or love languages, again, this is just another extension of that. And it was mind boggling to learn these things and to investigate them and see how this applies to my life really, really for me, life changing, to understand further, like how my family dynamics and and the, f- the things that I experienced and witnessed and felt around my family members. Um, and even like, you know, the crushes or whatever, my friendships that I had at a young age really affected me. And it just helps to understand that, right? It wasn't that I was assigning blame, because that's not what it's about. I feel like I've already come a long way with forgiveness, that I don't blame people anymore. I just want to understand. That's all I really wanted was to get like, why? Why is this this way? And then also, what can I do about it? Because once I understand why and how it became this way, maybe then I can reverse engineer it somehow, or maybe I can find a way to solve this problem. That's the the attitude that I was really employing at this point in my life, right? Especially in the level of anxiety and devastation that was experiencing on such a regular basis. And this fear that I had that my life was not going to be able to get back on track. Emotionally, that's like what I was fe- feeling, even though logically, you know, logically, I knew I was going to be okay. But feelings wise, again, in my brain and my heart, were not in the same place. We we're not on the same page. And my heart was just feeling I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. Like I'm never going to find love again. I'm going to end up dead alone. And You know, I'm never going to have babies and I'm never going to have a husband. And I don't know why I went through all this trauma. I was just like going through all this stuff. So when I did this inner child work, prior to even arriving at Panny's place, I had thought about it leading up to the session. And I had identified different traumatic moments. And I don't care to like catalog all of them to you. But one of the ones that I had experienced um, was something that I experienced with my brother and I must disclaim, do a disclaimer here. My brother is one of my best friends on the planet. He is a hero of mine. He is a very three-dimensional, flawed human being. But he is one of my, the dearest people in my entire life. But we've been through some stuff. And this is normal as kids, right? So basically, the story is when I was a kid, you know, my brother could be a little bit of a bully to me. And I was a little bit of a brat. I specifically remember, sidebar, I remember, like, crying on purpose to get his ass in trouble because I hated him for whatever reason that he was making me mad. So your girl used her emotional—you know, I used what I had at my disposal to, like, get my revenge, so— I was not innocent either. This is simply the nature of the like brother sister relationships that I think is really funny and it's also real and sad and has lasting effects. When we were young, my dad was very, very hard on my brother, extraordinarily hard on my brother. um traumatically hard on my brother. and we're we're going through these things as adults, like recognizing all the things that he went through and I'm his support system. He's mine. Um, but we both had tough relationships with my dad. My brother, I think, objectively, empirically had it worse. And it also hurt me. You know, it's a ripple effect trauma to watch my brother get disciplined by my dad so severely, so frequently. And um, there was one incident where I was really upset and I was crying, which I'm a crier, guys. If you haven't realized this about me, and first of all, then welcome to me. The Cancerian woman, sensitive, moody, and a total crybaby. I've been crying since I could, you know, I cry as much as the day is long. I cry when I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm angry, all the things. And I was crying one incident, and my brother, actually, he punched me. He gave me a black eye. And the crazy thing about, like, psychology and, like, childhood psychology is my brother doesn't remember this. He doesn't remember this incident. I remember every freaking second of it. I remember where I was. I was in the garage. Um, He was like again he was very upset with me there are certain like there's a Korean way to like punish kids where you make them sit uh, sit on their knees and like raise their arms up and if anybody's ever done that if you've like held out your limbs for any longer than like 30 seconds it really starts to hurt and so that's like in Korea it's a common form of punishment like you literally make someone like kneel and put their arms up literally you just make them put their arms up and it's like torturous after a very short amount of time so he was making me do that and then he ended up he was like telling me to stop crying and I wouldn't because I was upset and I was hurting and honestly I think I was wanting my mom to intervene um I think she was with like my aunt and my cousin so I was there I was and so uh my brother I was like you know crying harder. I think I pissed him off and he punched me and he gave me a black eye. And I feel a lot of things about saying that out loud. And I hope that you guys will not judge um, my brother. I'm very protective of him because I've already forgiven him and it's a terrible thing. And um, he's apologized to me so many times. And yeah, I still feel... I'm okay with it. I just don't want to—I don't ever want to hurt my brother. I don't ever want him to, like, feel like I'm villainizing him. Because I'll say for the millionth time, like, I love him so much. But that was a lasting um, scar on me. And uh, I remember this series of events. And even right after, I knew that my brother felt bad. And that's the thing that happens when you're a kid you know, he was a kid and so was I. And he was a hurt kid. And I was a hurt kid. And he hurt me because I was like, whatever, falling next in line in the power rank, right? Um, But that was something that I wanted to heal. I've already healed that with my brother multiple times over. And um, I hope he'll forgive me for like putting that on air. But it's it's my story that I want to share because that was that was the childhood trauma, one of them, that I wanted to address. Because I just remember in that moment, like how it felt, even though like I've completely forgiven my brother and I know that he did not want to hurt me and that he felt bad and was apologetic, even in that moment, even though he blacked it out of his memory. And even as adults, like when I've brought it up to his face and he's like... More than enough, apologize. Like, I really don't hold it against it. But I remember that feeling. I felt so worthless. And I wondered why somebody I loved so much hated me so much. You know, like, I wondered why, what I did or like who I was to be so hated that they would hurt me like that like I just remember that feeling it's so terrible um so I wanted to heal that I like pinpointed that with Panny. so I walked into my session being like okay this is the thing I'm gonna heal like I want to talk to that little girl with the black eye I want to hold her I want to cradle her I want her to know that she's loved like beyond understanding and that she's worth it, that she's worthy. Cause you know, it's just that, that left an impression. It was one of those moments that I just felt so worthless and unloved and, um, scared and all these things. Right. So I like had this all plotted out my head and I was like, "Penny, please like help me with this hypnosis. Please walk me through this, um, healing process. And I really want to meet with myself when I was 10 and I want to hug her and I want to, console her and tell her she's loved and she's worthy that's all I want that was like the plan so then I went and I met with Penny, and um she walked me through it you know we had a whole session and I told her like everything I like vented about what I was going through what had happened since the breakup what I was struggling with and what I needed to heal and feel because that's really where the hypnosis is it's kind of the conclusion part of the session where you have to prepare yourself and be very clear about what your intentions are and what you want to address and therefore like your hypnotherapist can help address that with you they can kind of go to the core of the problem they need to understand like what's the context what is it that you need to um, address and feel what do you want to feel coming out of it and for me I was just like I just want to feel better like I can't I I don't want to shake anymore like I want to be able to sleep at night I want to be able to get up and not fear like what the hell is going to happen to me today And so that was a plan. I talked to her. We talked about it. And I entered um, my hypnotized state. And again, if you guys want to listen to that, the hypnotherapy episode, you know, that's further back, I think like a year ago where I talk about it. And it was such an interesting experience getting hypnotized because I I remember everything that happens. I was definitely hypnotized. I'm just in a more um, vulnerable state where my subconscious is kind of more impressionable. And I remember doing this visualization and um, being safe, you know, in that space with a warm blanket and just doing my very best to relax and breathe and allow Panny as my guide to to walk me to meeting with my inner child. So when I went and met with my inner child to, like, hopefully make peace and resolve this deeper issue and this trauma, this traumatic moment in my life, um, I did. I, like, I had her all, you know, vision envisioned in my head, the 10-year-old version of me with this black eye, and I met her. And the, the craziest thing that happened during this process was that she changed. She changed as I was talking to her. I kind of walked in with a prepared speech if you will like I wanted to tell her she was loved and she's worthy and so um yeah I went ahead and did that and I met with her and there's this I have a very clear visual of um what I looked like at the time because part of the life experience what happened in my life was that the next day after I got this black eye I actually went to school you know I was in 5th grade and I was on tape so I was filmed doing a debate in my class like the ironic timing of it all is that I was on camera like feeling very awkward and scared and kind of like humiliated and very vulnerable and I'd put on my mom's makeup um, to try to put concealer on on my eye and I was like on film that day so it's just weird for me that I know that that exists like I have a tape of me And I I remember having watched it once. So I had her in my mind's eye and I met with her. And as I talked to her and I said all these things, I remember in my hypnotized state that I felt like it felt kind of forced. It didn't like click. And it was weird because, again, y'all can believe me or not, but I'm telling you the God's honest truth. As I was talking to my inner child, my 10-year-old self, she changed to be my seven-year-old self. She was younger than... I had anticipated and she wasn't the fifth grade version of me with a black eye. She was younger. She became like my second grade self. I remember that because I had a perm at the time. I remember I had my second grade class picture with like a bow in my hair. And that was the girl that I met with. Suddenly, she went from being the 10 year old me to being the seven year old me. And I that was completely unexpected. I remember thinking in my state, I was like, wait, what just happened? Right. But I went with it and I was still talking to her. She's right there with me. I'm visualizing her in my mind's eye. I think we're like in a park in a nice sunny day just to like talk with each other. And I remember then that's when the conversation started. That's when something clicked and it felt right. Again, prior to that, talking with my 10 year old self felt forced and it felt kind of awkward And so when it transformed into this younger version of myself, um, it flowed, I guess, like the conversation, the things I needed to say suddenly flowed. And the things that I said to my seven-year-old self were very, very different than what I had said to my 10-year-old self. And what I said to my seven-year-old self was not an unprepared speech of, you are safe. That's all I kept saying to her was like, you're safe, Minji. Like, I'm literally talking to my younger self saying, you're safe. I'm going to protect you. No one's going to hurt you. You don't have to worry about anything. Like, I have, I have you. I've got you. And that is like, every time I reflect on that, it really does touch like the deepest part of my heart because it was something that I needed to say to myself. And there was something about that little kid inside of me that needed to hear that and to feel it more than anything is to feel it. And so as I was saying to my seven-year-old self, like, I've got you. I'm protecting you. You are safe with me. No one's going to hurt you. And I think I even cursed to my younger self, which I think is really funny and just ironic. But I remember saying to her, like, I was holding her and I just remember how tiny she felt to me and holding her by her arms and hugging her and like holding her face and like looking her in the face, making her look at me and be like, cause I remember my little inner child was crying. She, I was crying to, you know, in my own presence. And, um, I just talked to her and I was like, Hey, look at me. Like I felt so steady and I looked at her and I was like, no one is going to hurt you. No one is going to mess with you. If anybody tries to mess with you, if anybody tries to harm you in any way, they have to come through me. Do you understand? Like, they have to come through me. I am a smart person. Minji, I'm literally saying this to myself. Like, Minji, I am smart. I am capable. I am strong. I am... I am so ready to protect you. Like you have no idea. I felt so protective of myself. And I communicated that protection to myself. And the weird, like beautiful thing about it is, that's how I feel about people I love. I want to protect them. I don't want to let harm come to them. I will go above and beyond. If somebody came and tried to harm my family in some way, there's no limit to like what I would do to make sure that they're okay, right? And I needed to hear that myself. And so it was just like dawning upon me as I'm having this conversation in my own subconscious, in a hypnotized state with my inner child, that I was feeling like this is exactly what I needed to hear. This is what I needed from myself. And this is what this little kid needed. And as much as I freaking love my parents, they did such, they did the best that they could do. And I will love them and appreciate them forever for all that they gave. But there were gaps, you know, there were parts that didn't go the way it could or should have. They didn't know love languages. They didn't know subconscious. They didn't know childhood trauma. They had so much trauma. My parents have been through massive heartbreak and hardship and trauma especially my father more than i i could fathom or understand and for that i've already forgiven him but like that plays a part in like what was passed on to me so in any logical sense it only makes sense that they had their flaws and they just were not able to in the time that they did were not even aware mattered the most, I guess, you know, in that zero to eight tender years of my life um, to nurture me the way that might have been better. Right. And I don't blame them for that. But like to call it what it is, I think, you know, that's really just what happened. My dad trolls everybody that he likes and loves. He makes fun of them. That's a defense mechanism. It's a coping mechanism of his. He made fun of me a lot as a very young child. Another like moment that really stuck with me that I still am like honestly meeting with my inner child now is the fact that when I was four, I remember this memory so clearly. He told me that my mom is prettier than me. And in a cute way, like now I look back and I was like, he was complimenting my mom. He was telling my mom that she's beautiful. But to a four-year-old kid, maybe I was even three. I just remember I was wearing a pink and white dress and I was crying my freaking little heart out. Because I thought my dad was telling me I'm ugly, you know? And that stuck with me my whole life. So it's like just having these like epiphanies and transformative like points of recognition of how much certain things like really did impact me and how much I just needed to reassure myself and how much I was looking for it from everybody else from every other source from my job from my title from my acting achievements to every guy that like would want to desire me or pursue me or like spoil me or whatever, you know, just be this thing that I needed. And like, honestly, just going within, you know, and these cliches, they exist for a reason, like we hear them. And they seem like, for some people, just something to roll your eyes at, like, Oh, God, yeah, child inner child work. I'm here to tell you, like, I had a lot of those same attitudes. Even though I'd like to think of myself as somebody better than that, I really wasn't. Like, I rolled my eyes just like the rest of them. But when I actually did it, y'all, changed my whole life. Hands down. And um, when I gave myself that reassurance, when I could tell myself that I loved myself by telling myself that I would protect her, that I would keep her safe that i would not let harm come her way and that she did not need to be scared anymore for me and for my inner child and for the specific things that i had been um exposed to and that i had gone through as a kid it changed my i could feel it you know i could feel it change me and um the last thing that penny had walked me through in this encounter that i had with my inner child was um to hug her and to merge myself with her to let her become me again to not have her be a separate part of me that I sit there and talk to but to like have her you know you unite with me and become my inner self again so I did that and I remember that feeling I remember it's weird what the mind can do you guys and just to have the imagination and like the freedom and the surrender to like go there It's still like one of the most important things that I think I've ever done in my entire life. And I remember hugging her. I remember, again, how tiny she felt, how fragile she felt, but also how strong she felt. And I held her and I poured all my love on her. This love that I give to everybody else that I give to all these movements and causes and to all these other people in my life. I gave that to her and I loved on her. And I, merged with her I united with her and we became one person again and then I came out of my hypnotized state and that was like my first you know significant session of inner child work and at the end of that session you guys I was still as a freaking pond in some remote mountain I was just it was serenity and that alone was like baffling to me But it also just felt right. Like I felt so still. And literally minutes prior, I had been trembling like a fucking leaf. Okay. Sorry, that's just a crass way to put it. But I was, I was shaking minutes before that. I was crying. I was a wreck. I was like beside myself. And minutes after that encounter with myself, I was still as a rock. And honestly, that's all I wanted. I didn't want to feel like Beyonce. I didn't want to feel like, you know, jubilant, like, you know, I can go party and like celebrate or I didn't want to like, you know, scream and jump from the top of a mountain. All I wanted was peace. All I wanted was to feel okay. And in that moment, I can like just straight testify that I did. It was really, really wonderful. Now, what I'll say about like the inner child work is that um, that was just my experience. I have no way to prescribe anything or tell you what your experience could, should, will be like. That is completely any individual's unique process. And from what I've understood about psychology is like, yeah, everybody is so different. And even when it comes to like um, hypnosis, like what I've learned throughout this process is that you know people have different experiences with hypnosis because like there's just a different level of impressionable susceptibility that people have to that the power of suggestion right some people are much more resistant and I'm just at a place in my life where I feel like if it could be helpful and if I can do it in a way that is um, safe I want to explore it. I want to have space for wondering and to be open to possibility instead of being so cynical or judgmental or honestly being so self-righteous and arrogant to presume that I know better about something that I have never yet experienced myself or even given space to entertain that could work. Like all these experiences have only opened me up further to be like, oh my God, I never thought that. I would be a person that would participate in inner child work in hypnotherapy and to have it feel so profoundly like impactful to be so skeptical and then walk away being so like moved by it, you know? And so again, I feel like the data speaks for itself. I feel like I'd be a complete idiot and a complete fool to deny possibility. I've been proven time and time again that when I've been open to something being able to help me. Not every instance does. Not every instance is that profound and that intense and that transformative. But I also am entertaining the fact that it could plant seeds, right? Or that it's just giving me more data to confirm that, okay, this thing doesn't work for me. But maybe this thing does, right? On to the next thing. Time to explore this option. Or maybe it's give this another chance and and dive deeper. And that's just for me to decide and to further calibrate, right? Every step of the way. But for me... I wanted to share this. I've been meaning to. And I think, you know, for a lot of reasons, this is really, really personal and hard for me. I think the hardest thing for me is to open up for other people to judge my family because that is my protective nature. I do not want people to size up my family and judge them on how they may have hurt me because I'm speaking on my behalf. That's one thing. I can share my stories and my experiences with hypnotherapy and all this stuff, but you know, It's a genuine fear of mine that if somebody heard, like, oh, Minji's brother, like, gave her a black eye. What an asshole. Like, I get very protective and I get very concerned that somebody's going to think ill of my brother because he's not here to defend himself. I'm the one that's putting that part of my life out there. Um, And I'm not okay with that. So, yeah, that's, I think, recognizing, just being aware of, like, what has hindered me from— being in a place to be able to share that. And I'm also electing to leave a lot of other details out because I don't feel like it's relevant or necessary. That's me protecting myself, see? And I'll say also since the inner child work, it has changed my life. It didn't make every single thing better. I still went through (laughs) a lot after that. But I will say I really do think that it marks a significant moment where I started to... Explore more inner child work. I started meeting with myself regularly, actually, and um, just using my imagination and visual, visualization to address myself at all these different points in my life. And honestly, kind of having fun with it. I know that sound, that might sound weird to people, but I wanted. I liked the idea that I had access to myself, for lack of better terms. I liked the idea that I could. Meet with former versions of myself and like regroup and like literally have like a big sister talk with myself because I'm you know grown now and I'm wiser and more mature and and forgive myself and like reassure myself like literally th- to me this is these are acts of love this is self love this is an active form of like giving care to somebody or something, right, is to nurture it and to love on it and shower it with affection and attention and forgiveness and grace. Like that's what I was doing to like myself at a lot of different points in my life. So I met with my four-year-old self, the one that, you know, my dad told me that my mom's prettier than me when I was, you know, four years old in Hawaii. There was that. And then um, I also met with like my teenage self. I met with myself like literally like the past week version of myself. And I'm just like, okay, Minji, we need to talk. (laughs) Let's talk. So somebody might look at me and be like, what a freaking nut job. And I could hear from somebody's outside point of view. But I'm not really concerned about that. That's none of my business. Like to me, I know that it helped me a lot to like do this inner work and to talk to myself. And to be able to be objective with myself and also really intimate and personal with myself, it's like both. Like I could look at myself from an outsider point of view and not be so critical and not so harsh on like decisions that I made or actions that I took and be able to like approach it the way that I would to a friend. Like if a friend was in distress and I could look at their situation with compassion and empathy and respect and love and be like yo like yeah i'm not really a fan of what you did there but also like i understand this is why you did that and because of that i don't want you to like repeat that like how about we don't do that anymore how about the next time that comes up maybe you just decide differently because you don't need to do that now you've learned from this and now we're going to we're going to learn and we're going to have enough wisdom to not repeat that like literally be able to talk to myself in that fashion is a huge freaking deal you guys. So that's what I started to do starting from that day. And I do credit like the way that I approach a lot of relationships, everything from like professional conversations to my own family, to, you know, like everything I I, I'm approaching it from a self protective stance, not a paranoid stance, but a self protective stance of like, is this good for me? Is this going to help me? Am I in an emotional state or a psychological state or mental state where this conversation or this decision is going to be good for my well-being? And I have these like moments of recognition and that could happen in the matter of seconds or like I'll take time and space. I will take a moment if I need it to like really think about it. And be like, you know what? This is a big decision. Before I agree to taking on this job or bending over backwards to serve this project or, uh, you know, take on this thing when I have all these other things on my plate or the fact that I'm dealing with a pandemic right now, like the rest of humanity, and I just don't have the emotional mental capacity to talk with you, to let myself ask those questions of myself, to like check in with me and be like, Minji, are you good? Like, are you cool with this? Is this okay? Do we need to say no right now? Is no a better answer than yes? Will it cost you a relationship to say no to somebody that you originally habitually needed to say yes to and accommodate their needs and put their needs always in front of yours? Because if you didn't have validation from their approval that suddenly you crumble and don't feel like you're even a respectable version of yourself, are we able to say no now? And I've said no so much more now in a way that I'm okay with it, in a way that like they understand and they don't hold that against me, that the person that I'm saying no to understands and we just find a different common ground. Be like, no, I actually can't get that done for you to buy tomorrow. I can't. I can't help out with this project. I just, I'm over capacity right now. I have so much on my plate. I'm honored that you thought of me, but I'm going to have to turn this one down. And they appreciate that because they're like, at least in professional levels, getting a no doesn't devastate everybody, you guys. Just for any of the people pleasers out there, a clear no is just, it's still an answer. And it helps people figure out their next step because at least you answered them. And I'm recognizing I want to do a whole episode and series on like ghosting, right? And why people run away because I've run away so much in my life. And I've had a lot of people run away from me, not just like guys, but like friends and just colleagues like literally ghost me. And there's a lot there. I'm understanding so many different aspects of my life and understanding like, okay, their behavior does not have anything to do with me, really. It's just their coping mechanism. Epiphanies all over the place, you guys. It's light bulbs, light bulbs, light bulbs. But in understanding myself and having boundaries and protecting myself, my, my emotions, my mental state, my time it's changed my whole freaking life and there was part of me for a moment that that was judging and being a little bit like yo you you had to reach your 30s to get to saying no to people like are you kidding me and then I stopped myself and then I love myself and I'm like you know what it's fine I'm really glad you're here I'm glad you reached it my love like I'm so glad better late than never quote unquote and what even is late you know what I'm saying the people who live lifetimes and don't ever recognize those things and that's very sad to know that and I'm very grateful that I'm not dying I have not died and I still have enjoyed even the days that I have with this appreciation and this self-protection and this self-love that's only growing every single day that I practice it more, because it is a practice, and I have to catch myself every day still. Um, But it has changed my life. 100%. 110% has changed my life. And for anybody that I've ever loved and do love now, and all the strangers out there that I don't know that I still love as well. I love you. FYI, if you're listening to this, I want you to be well. I don't want you to hurt. And I don't want you to hurt others. And I don't want you to have broken relationships. Because I've experienced in spades, like the ripple effects of like how much damage that does and how much trouble it can be to like clean up messes that can't be cleaned up sometimes. And the ripple effect and like there's so much pain and strife as it is. If I can help a single person open their mind and explore the idea of inner child work to entertain the thought and start investigating that, to think on that. Not even like reach out to some external party to like do go to you know the whole nine yards like I did. And if you're willing to do that, awesome. And if it doesn't work on that first try or like what up you know, and it's a disappointment. You know, I'm so sorry. Like, that's not what I'm wishing, but also maybe that's just, again, part of this process. I had to make many attempts in terms of my mental and emotional health to get here. There are a lot of precursor uh, things that I've done prior to that moment where I could have that like light bulb, life changing moment. And my life was changing at every moment before. It just wasn't as intense. And I did have other intense moments. Um, But yeah, just like really accepting the fact that this is a process and that it's a journey, you know, but to reiterate, I really why I feel like I'm on this earth in part and why I went through the specific hardships that I did, I believe was in part to help other people heal. I want to help people heal. I want to create a space and this is what I can offer, which is a podcast, right? And hopefully in the near future, some YouTube content and things that I can like put my face to because I'm now feeling more ready to do that. Um, I want to help people heal. I'm very familiar with pain. I'm very familiar with trauma. I'm familiar with other people's pain and trauma. And as somebody who is an empath, like, I feel other people's pain, too. And it hurts me. It hurts to know that other people are hurting. Like, I... See, I'm crying. I'm crying again right now, like, thinking of how much other people are hurting. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like witnessing it. So why I don't care to watch, like, violent movies. Like, honestly, like, that's a whole other podcast. Let's go there, too, because I really want to talk. We have a problem, at least in this country and many other countries, too, with violence porn. Like, it is completely 110% fucked up like the things that we've been watching like if violence serves a plot point in a story that's one thing but the extent to which people enjoy like the gruesomeness that is like allowed and also I want to point out in contrast to the issues that people have had with like sexual things being shown and the slut shaming and like just the contrast of like where our values have lied in this like ultra puritanical society that we've had of people governing bodies and sexuality and having so much fear about sexuality but then having no fear about showing people getting getting disembowelled on screen there is something really wrong with that i'm just going to call that out i have a significant severe problem with that and that to me is indicative of a lot of toxic masculinity, a lot of like unhealed trauma. The fact that that's what people are like eagerly wanting to watch. I cannot watch that. It hurts me to watch that. I don't ever want to watch that stuff. I know it exists. I watched enough of it. No, thank you. My money can be used elsewhere. Um, so I don't like horror. I don't like being scared. Like (laughs) the world scares me (laughs) enough. But anyway, I digress. These are like tangents. These are things I think about. And, um, I'm more and more accepting of the fact that I want to help people heal the people that I appreciate greatly in my life are people that I feel have helped me heal, even if that's a stranger through a book that I read or Oprah or Brene Brown or, you know, Tim Ferriss or whoever, you know, like all these different light workers, Eckhart Tolle, you know, I listen to Abraham Hicks. I'm thankful for that. Um, all these different like spiritual people on YouTube. I've been ingesting a lot and like researching and cross-referencing and having a lot of different questions that are arising out of watching a lot of different philosophers. The Buddhist monks that speak, the Dalai Lama, like Gandhi, like whoever, like has has taken the time to express their thoughts, their philosophies, been vulnerable enough to share experiences, their failures, their shortcomings, um, their lessons learned their wisdom. I've benefited off of that so much. And the main thing that I want to do with whatever I create, whether that's the startup that I'm about to launch into beta testing, which is really exciting. And now I'm a tech CEO and who knew that would be a thing um, or the art that I'm going to make and the things I'm writing and directing and all that stuff. Like, I want to help it be a catalyst for people to see themselves, to find their voice, um, to be able to speak love out into the world and especially to themselves and to heal these things because we are all capable of it we're all fully capable of it and I genuinely feel in in the most humble way possible like I feel like if I'm able to face these things that I felt were so impossible and insurmountable and unhealable And just like that they were going to be my burden and my pain for my entire life. The fact that they aren't anymore. Like that to me is just a straight up miracle. And it makes me really believe further. Because I've also seen it in so many versions of people outside myself. And I don't know why I like excluded myself from that. We're all capable of miracles. We're capable of so much. So much beauty. So much strength and resilience, and hope, and faith, and love, and like all these like beautiful, beautiful things, compassion, and understanding, and empathy, and support, you know, and responsibility, and and discipline in a good way, right? Like, we're all so capable when we're motivated in in ways that are uplifting and empowering. We're so capable. and I want to remind people of that. And if my story can serve as exhibit a like as an example to to bolster that feeling within you then i feel like i've achieved my life mission then i feel like i've done something good and i do want to do that That makes me feel good so um that's my story of inner child work uh for any newcomers welcome to first of all (laughs) I'm just like, I'm aware that I'm intense and I'm just like, I am what I am. I'm fine with it. I kind of love it. Um, and I hope that you can receive that and you receive my energy in the best way possible. I'm not here to like traumatize you <laughs> or scare you away. I just like appreciate anybody who's willing to listen. And I really, again, reiterate that my intention is to help people go to somewhere good. Somewhere healing. Um, And that healing process might be painful. I'm just like also warning people of that because it's been painful for me. And also it's been 100% worth it. The other thing that I wanted to share because I shared this on my Instagram is, um, because if that wasn't intense enough, there's an experience that I had with my ex. Again, um, another dark period of my life, but I went through an abusive relationship. And one of the things that I did to prove my love for him was get tattoos, because he demanded them. And like literally was giving me like an ultimatum in ways like everything felt like an ultimatum. Like if you don't do this, then you don't love me. And if you don't do this, you don't love me. And if you don't love me, then we're done. Like, I'll find someone better. And um, as a teenager, I, I conceded and I did it. And when I was 17, I got two tattoos on my body. A lot of people don't know that about me. I also have a lot of body issues, so I don't like to show my body. I have i think there's only been like maybe like a dozen times in my life that I've worn a bikini because I've been really self-conscious about my body, which means... And even when I wear a bikini, if I wear like underwear or bikini bottoms, you can't see them because they're concealed by those garments. Um, but basically, the tattoos were... Um, my ex-boyfriend, like, branding me and, like, staking his claim, if you will. And there's a whole slew of, you know, irresponsible or, like, you know, uh, regretful decisions when it comes to tattoos. I'm definitely, you know, dime a dozen. There's a lot of people who have done things that they're like, well, shouldn't have done that. Because they are very permanent. And, um, there's, you know, every tattoo artist out there also is a really talented redo artist because they, there's so many people that come in like myself after I broke up with my ex that come in saying, I want this covered up. Please help me change my trend and transform this old tattoo into something new, which I did when I was 19 and we broke up. So, um, These tattoos, though, have been on my body since I was a teenager. So more than half my life at this time. And um, I've hated them. They don't make me happy. So um, sometimes I forget, like on the good days, like I forget that I have them. And sometimes like I'll remember very thoroughly, like I'll recognize them on my body. I'm like, oh, God, like there they are again. And so in this whole like new transformative process that I'm going through as I approach my new year and even as I enter this new year, um, I wanted to get rid of them. And it's been a dream of mine. Like I was like, okay, one day, you know, one day I'm going to freaking do it. One day I'm going to splurge the money. And that also like my relationship with money and like it's really expensive, at least like a thousand dollars per small tattoo. It again depends on the size and like if there's color on it and like all this stuff to like get your tattoos removed with laser is a very long and expensive process. And so I kept putting it off and I kept aspiring to it. And in this process of, like, letting go of my past, unloading my baggage, letting it lie, and leaving it where it is, and really think of the now, being present and now, and being excited about the future, I was um, pleasantly surprised by Groupon because during coronavirus, you know, we've just been sitting here uh, in our homes, quarantined, I got a Groupon deal for, like, beauty stuff, you know, and I like the next person that's entering, getting towards their middle age. Yeah. Like, full disclosure, I thought about Botox. I'm probably not going to do it because I really want to find alternative. Like, I, it's part of my values that I don't want to resort to Botox. I'm not necessarily judging people. I have less judgment on people who do get Botox. Full disclosure, I did judge people who got Botox and plastic surgery again, more podcasts to come. There's a lot to talk about. But um, I got some Groupon deal. And I think there was like some beauty like esthetician deal. And I was looking at it. And below that was a Groupon deal for tattoo removal, laser touch. And I was like, Oh, my God, there's something about like everything that I've been going up to going through and, and working through and working up to these last several months that I felt it. It was like that synchronistic moment of clarity of like, oh my God, I everything was leading me up to this moment because I've also been earning money through my voice work. I've been uh, setting up a studio that used to be rented out and I used to like feel really desperate for money that I, like, I couldn't afford to like live in my space. Um, but now I'm in a space right now financially to invest in myself the next couple months to have this be my dream studio that I had dreamed of when I first got this condo. And so there I was on this on my computer, looking at this Groupon deal. And I was like, oh my god, this is another sign. And what had originally been $950, again, like a cool, you know, G, a grand, to get a small six square inches tattooed For three sessions and average sessions that you need for any tattoo is like eight, but three sessions was on sale on Groupon for $90. No, no, no. First one I saw was $75. It was on sale for $75 instead of $900. And again, that price barrier was a big deal for me of like why I said I couldn't get these tattoos removed. So in that moment of like clarity and financial confidence, I bought two Groupons. You know what I'm saying? Well, I bought one because it's limit one per one. So just word to the wise. Y'all know that you're like limit one per one deal per person. So I bought one Groupon at one location for one tattoo. And then I bought another one for $90 at another location because there's a lot. I'm in LA. There's a lot of these spots. And um, so I spent just under $200 instead of $2,000 to start removing my tattoos. And I was ready. I was just emotionally ready. I was mentally ready. I was financially ready to do this. And so two days ago, well, today's Thursday. Uh, You're listening to this on the 18th on my birthday. Four days ago, on uh, July 14th, I started the process and I had my very first laser session to remove my tattoo. And it was a really beautiful day. Like, I, and the doctors were all like sanitized and they were wearing their gloves. Everyone, you know, all wore a mask the entire time. And, you know, I asked and called and um, checked in on that before the procedure to make sure that they were safe and all of that. Um, so I felt good about it. I went in. It was a really quick procedure, but I felt like the anticipation was like really the anxious part. And it's really anticipating the pain. And full disclosure, it hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> okay. I can't put that in a delicate way because the truth of it is it hurt like a motherfucker. It hurt really bad. And then I also found, to my delight, that the first one is the least painful session because it's like a light laser session because you basically break up the ink in your skin and then your body heals and reabsorbs. It breaks down the ink so your body like reabsorbs it into your body. So that's why you have to do it so many times because based on like— again, how big and how long you've had the tattoo. Actually, the newer the tattoo is, the harder it is to get rid of. So sorry, I'm just like letting you know the research I found out. The older that ta- the tattoo is, it actually like fades a little bit quicker. So thank God for that, that it's been so many freaking years, like literally half my lifetime ago um, that I did this. And um, yeah, it really hurt. It hurt like a bitch. It was really, really painful. And it was really quick, too. So I cannot even imagine what people with gigantic tattoos go through. And people do do those sessions to get rid of giant tattoos. And oh, my dear God. But I'm still happy. And I am, you know, preparing myself in another six weeks. I go again for my next session and I'll purchase more Groupon so I can continue to get all like eight or whatever that I need and hopefully get a good deal on it, because I still want to be a smart shopper. But that was a really big milestone for me. In addition, so this is where I've come to since my inner child work in the matter of like, you know, a few months after that, I've had leaps and bounds. And it's not all daisies, some of it has been extremely painful for me to like confront a lot of things within myself. And I really appreciate you guys listening to me and to my story this long and this far. Um. But what I really want to kind of drive home is that we are capable of healing. And even though it is scary, you know, fear is kind of an inherent part of being brave and being courageous, right? And I like that I am being brave and courageous for myself because those are stories that I love to hear in others. And those are people that I truly admire and that I'm inspired by when I recognize that they are just as human as I am, that they have flaws and fears and vulnerabilities just like I do. And yet when they face them head on in whatever format, in whatever version of their own challenge, come face to face with their fears, with their insecurities, with their traumas, and they overcome them that gives me so much inspiration and joy to watch them succeed. And then when I am able to practice that same level of courage and bravery in myself, man, there's nothing else like it, you know? It's just a liberation. It's like a freedom and a joy that I wouldn't trade for anything, you know? And I do think that that directly translates into external elements of life, like my ability to have better relationships, right? And my ability to have more money, because I feel like I'm worthy of having a career that I enjoy that I feel valuable in to price myself, you know, my work at a a competitive, adequate rate, instead of undervaluing myself and my work and my time. And like, pulling up barriers for like what I thought I could achieve. Like, could I actually be a filmmaker? Could I actually start a company that could actually be successful and create jobs for other people and, you know, actualize dreams of mine? That's what that inner child work has helped me do. You know what I mean? It's helped me take a really important step towards actualizing things into reality and receiving blessings and having joy in my life and not judging my own self for being happy and not withholding that from my own life and not feeling scared of things that I've always wanted to try and do. It's its a big deal, you know, and I finally feel okay just owning that. It's a big deal and not downplaying it so that you guys think better of me or to think that I'm not a crazy person or whatever. Like, just trust me, I could imagine all the different narratives going through someone's head of like, damn, this girl is so intense and so extra and so dramatic and so emotional. I have that all laid out in my head. Like, I still, that previously self-critical version of me, I already know that narrative. That's honestly what's been holding me back for so much of my life, is that fence or that barrier, the barbed wire, whatever you want to call it, has withheld me from being my truest self. And if you do think that I'm intense and I'm in dramatic and I'm all these things, you know what? You might be right. I am pretty intense and I am dramatic, but I'm also being my honest self. And that's all I, that's all I prioritize right now. I do care what you think of me. I'm not going to lie, but it doesn't matter more than what I think of me. So Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All. I genuinely appreciate you that you're sharing emotional mental space with me by listening um, and taking time out of your day to be here with me. It is really significant. And for that exchange, I hope that I gave you something of value. I hope I imparted something good. And um, again, for anybody who's been at all part of this three-year-long journey to get here, I had no idea that this is where I was going to be three years from the day that I started. But I'm so glad that I took that first step. I'm so glad I stopped judging myself long enough to record that first episode with Montpreet, And thank you to Montpreet for being my first guest. It was an honor. And I still listen to that first episode. And I like laugh because I can hear how much I've changed since then. And also for the fact that I'm not as bad as I thought I was. (laughs) You know, I'm better now. I I think I am objectively better now as a host and whatnot. Um, But I (laughs) I just listened. I was like, you know, I'm not as bad as I feared I was. Another data point. It's way worse in our head, y'all. So with that, I'm really excited for the next however many episodes this will go on for. I hope for a long time. And I'm excited to create myself and with others and also what others outside of me that I am not participating in other than in spirit that I hopefully helped put another stepping stone in your life towards what you want to do and what you want to create and what you want to bring into reality from like your mind and your heart that can edify you and edify your family, your relationships and those around you and your communities if I participate in that in any way, energetically, I will be also really honored and proud and happy. So we never know all the ripple effects that we can have on those around us. I had no idea that I would have a consistent audience. But here we are. And if that can help anyone else, then I'll be really grateful. Again, just sharing my gratitude. So cheers to three years, happy birthday to myself, to other July 18thers, which also includes Nelson Mandela, Kristen Bell, Vin Diesel, Priyanka Chopra, and, you know, slew of other non-celebrities that are also equally awesome, because you don't have to be a celebrity to be awesome, but I'm pretty happy with, like, my cohort of people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a pretty cool moment to be alive, even despite everything going on and there's more to come. So hope you all are ready. Thank you for standing by me. And if you'd like to, please check out my social media at First of All Pod website at firstofallpod.com. Um, you can email me firstofallpod at gmail.com. I appreciate everybody who's been sharing shout outs, messaging me. Um, I, I take all that energy in and I appreciate it. And Hopefully put it back out in the universe. Be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Marvin, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you, Mar, for standing by me all these years, way before first of all, way before Collabcast. Thank you for being a friend and a collaborator and help, helping me have this exist in the first place. Cause I really wouldn't have made this without your encouragement. So thank you. And shout out to run river North because they are my intro and outro for this very special you know, 3.0 version of First of All. And uh, this is their new single called Pretty Lies. And I freaking love this song. I, I felt inspired to like write a whole movie just so I could use this song as an intro. And I still might do that. Um, but yeah, I hope that you enjoy. You can find, first of all, on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, everywhere else that you find podcasts. And share if you feel compelled to share. Would love if you tag me in it so that I know and can give you a shout out. And thank you, thank you to my Patreon patrons for supporting me and helping me keep this microphone on all these months, all these years. I'm baffled by this, the ongoing support and the commitment you guys have shown to this channel. And if you'd like to support this channel, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. If you'd like to make a donation which I understand a lot of creatives are doing and that's really wonderful. You want to tip me? Um, send me a birthday boba. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm learning to receive, guys. I'm learning how to receive love. You can send it to my PayPal at first firstofallpod at gmail.com. That's my PayPal address. And I uh, also have my Amazon wish list and I'm uh, sharing that all on my website so that, you know, we can continue to transfer energy and love. I appreciate all of it. Thank you. You don't owe me anything, <laughs> but if you want to give... Um, I know how I feel what I want to give to people. So anyway, it's out there. Thank you so much and have an amazing week. Please stay safe. Please stay safe and healthy, guys. I love you all. we will talk to you soon. Bye. Who am I after tasting you? Little fires on the passenger side. I could tell the truth or I could keep telling priests. I could tell the truth or I could keep telling pretty lies.